Suppose members of the medical and scientific communities discovered a condition that presents disabling physical, psychological, and emotional symptoms. And suppose children were found to be most at risk. How many children? Well, what if the number were 80% and growing? We just haven't seen all the symptoms yet. At what point would that condition be considered an epidemic? That's question one. And if the condition were found to be preventable, to what lengths would you go to protect your child and your family? That's question two, and the answer is not as easy as you think. It turns out this condition is not all hypothetical, and I'm not just describing the plot to the latest apocalyptic thriller. We'll answer question one in a moment. Question two is one you'll have to answer today on Licensed to Parent. Hello and welcome. Our program comes to you from Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program helping teens in crisis, including many suffering from this mysterious condition. I'm Rich Rosal, and our host is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill. And uh, Trace, question two is a hard one. How far would you go to save your children from this condition that affects them physically, psychologically, and some would even say spiritually? Uh, personally, I think most of us would say, oh, I'll do whatever it takes. I don't believe that, though. We can mm -hmm. now prevent or at least lessen the likelihood of getting skin cancer by limiting exposure to the sun. But most of us don't do that. We don't exercise enough. We don't eat right. Many times we won't even give up the really bad for us habits like smoking. We don't really like to do anything that inconveniences us. And we don't like doing anything that will make us stand out in a crowd as weird, maybe. Right. So if our friends aren't putting on sunscreen at the beach, we might pass on that as well. So let me turn it over to you. First, what is this condition that we're talking about today? Well, our, our regular listeners have heard us raise this alarm before because we, we think it's so important. Uh, we're talking about early exposure and, and overexposure, not to the sun, but to digital technology. Uh, this issue has become systemic in our society now, Rich. The, the next time uh, you go out, just... You know, watch other people, especially families. Most of the kids you see, uh, most of the people you see, they'll be looking at handheld screens rather than talking to one another. I, I was in uh, uh, Wyoming a few months ago, snapped a picture because 13 out of 13 people sitting in this restaurant were all looking at screens, talking to someone <laughs> who weren't in the restaurant. They, they weren't in the restaurant. Thank goodness you had your portable digital <laughs> exactly. device with you to take that picture. Yeah. Exactly. And believe me, I've had, had that used against me too. Yeah. Uh, for parents, you know, the screen is often the, the easy babysitter that keeps Junior distracted and you know, and from the kid's point of view, the screen is uh, the easy, you know, escape uh, from their parents, not having to talk to them or their siblings or anybody who doesn't make them happy. Uh, need advice? You know, you don't have to go to mom or dad. Go to Google. Uh, your, your peers are now available 24-7, and their advice is far better. Or at least it's what they want to hear. So uh, yeah. is it an epidemic? Uh, I'd say yes. Okay. Uh, how dangerous is it? Well, we'll find out in a minute when we bring on today's guest. Well, let me introduce today's guest. Dr. Nicholas Cardaris is one of the country's foremost addiction experts. He's a former clinical professor at Stony Brook Medicine and is now the executive director of the Dunes in East Hampton, New York. That's one of the world's top rehab facilities. Dr. Cardaris has taught neuropsychology at the doctoral level. He is author of the new book, Glow Kids, uh, which came out in 2016 from St. Martin's Press. Also, the 2011 book, How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. 
He's a frequent contributor to Psychology Today and to Fox News, and he's appeared on the CBS Evening News, on NPR, Good Day New York, and in Esquire, New York Magazine, and Vanity Fair. I was on the cover of Vanity Fair. No, I'm dead. Would you step on it? <laughs> in his clinical work with adolescents, Dr. Carderis worked with over 1,000 teens in the last decade, and he discovered that many were suffering from genuine psychiatric disorders like anxiety, depression, even psychosis-like symptoms as a result of their screen dependence, something we've talked about a lot. Dr. Carderis began to understand that this new digital drug, as he likes to call it, was just another variation of addiction and escape for young people. More importantly, in researching the effect of screens on the brain, he found that the effects neurologically mirror substance addiction and were especially problematic in young children with their still-developing brains. So he advises parents to delay immersive and interactive screen exposure until the child is at least 10. Not 2, which we've often heard, 10. So that's quite an upping of the uh, of the threshold, I think, from mm-hmm. what we're seeing in most of the medical community. Well, Dr. Garderas, uh, welcome to the License of Parent Broadcast. Well, great. And thank, thank you for having me. And by the way, I just want to thank you both for that really thoughtful introduction and thoughtful conversation you both already had about this subject. Well, we, we've, uh, we're kind of a proving ground for everything that you've uh, written in your book, uh, Glow Kids. We, we see it regularly. Uh, we see the, the glow come back to their faces rather than upon their faces uh, in the, uh, during the time that they're here. And, and a lot of the kids who come to Shepherd's Hill are struggling with this very thing. Oh, we, all we, right. We, yeah, we use a program that pretty much unplugs them for a year and, you know, g- allows some very limited and controlled use of technology, but nothing like what they're used to. And we like to say they get restored to their original factory settings. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, Doctor, what first got you uh, connecting the dots with respect to the effects of digital technology on our kids? And why, why did you write Glow Kids? Well, first of all, I am the, the you know, you, you mentioned that I recommend that children under the age of 10 uh, don't, aren't, shouldn't be exposed to interactive screens. And I, I say that as the father of nine-year-old twin boys. So I'm, I'm also a parent myself. Mm-hmm. So I've got some skin in the game in terms of the effects of digital technology, you know, both in my own family and as a person who cares about the society that we live in. Absolutely. But my first red flag was about 10 years ago when I had a 16-year-old young man, uh, teenage boy sent to my office who was very disoriented, very confused, blinking hard, and looking around the room and appeared to not know where he was. And after several questions of, do you know where you are and what's your name, uh, he responded to me in in a way that shocked me. He said to me, are we still in the game? And uh, this was my first experience, what we've come to know as a version of of video game psychosis. Um, he had been playing world, a game called World of Warcraft uh-huh. for 10 to 12 hours a day uh, for a period of several weeks, if not months, and essentially got lost in the Matrix and where he couldn't discern reality from the game. And that young man had to be sent to a psychiatric hospital for a month, a residential inpatient psychiatric hospital, where unfortunately he got put on antipsychotic medications and started a a whole new roller coaster of probably not ideal circumstances in his life because of this uh, this screen toxin that had impacted his brains and, yeah. and his perception of reality. So that was my first sort of aha moment of there's something strange happening in here. Mm-hmm. And, and as an addiction expert, I was used to working with people 
who had psychotic breaks that were substance-induced, uh, people who had substance-induced psychosis from cocaine or crystal meth or hallucinogens. You know, people used to have bad acid trips in the, in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And now, essentially, this young man was having a bad acid trip on, on a video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my first red flag. And then forward from there, just began to see uh, each cohort, each year of young people that I treated were showing more and more clinical symptoms of uh, addiction. Uh, they, they mirrored all the clinical symptoms of substance addiction and also other uh, mental health disorders like mood disorders and uh, mood dysregulation and, um, and also panic disorders sometimes mm-hmm. and, uh, and the uh, above-mentioned psychotic types of features as well. Yeah, I don't think people realize that, that uh, overexposure to, uh, to sc- screens and keyboards actually affects us at the, the cellular level. Oh, absolutely. You know, people, I think, are shocked to hear that it changes the brain wiring. People think that how can something that I don't ingest, you know, people can understand if you ingest a substance that may affect your brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. But what fairly recent brain imaging, it's been probably about a dozen brain imaging studies over the last four or five years that have shown that uh, screen exposure literally mirrors cocaine addiction in, Mm -hmm. in terms of the primary, there's two effects. The primary effect is it shrinks the frontal cortex. And the frontal cortex is the executive functioning part of the brain. And that controls our impulse control, which is highly correlated to addiction disorders, which are a manifestation of impulse control. Um, people who are highly impulsive tend to also have addiction disorders because they can't, well, let's face it, they can't control their appetites sometimes, whether it's to a substance or to other kinds of behavior. And so it's kind of a vicious cycle. People that have addiction disorders, we've, we've, we've done brain imaging studies for years that have shown that chronic cocaine addicts have um, shrunken frontal cortexes, which then further compromise their ability to not be impulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw those exact same effects were happening with uh, young people who were exposed to screens. Their frontal cortexes were shrinking. And the second part of the brain effect was the myelination, which is also known as the brain's white matter. Right. The, myelin, the brain's myelination is essentially the, the uh, insulation cable of our brain's neurons. And the healthier that, that insulation cable is, the better our brain works. And things like substance abuse make that insulation cable, our myelin sheath, uh, they, they fragment it. They make it more brittle. They mm-hmm. make it more compromised. And they've been several brain imaging studies with uh, kids exposed to screens that have shown that their myelin sheaths show those same effects that they do from substance abuse as well. So those were two big aha moments that the brain imaging showed very clear, indisputable effects of screens on the brain. And, and part of it, and part of why we understand that screens are addicting, is we also understand that they hijack our dopamine reward center, and, you know, without getting too technical on it. Essentially, dopamine is one of our feel-good neurotransmitters that gets released when uh, we engage in something that feels good. Um, Eating chocolate releases dopamine. That's me. Um, Sexual experiences release dopamine. In fact, uh, one study in 1998 showed that chocolate releases a 50% increase in dopamine. Um, Video games have a 100% increase in dopamine, which is exactly the same as the sexual experience. And, And in my book, I write, Essentially, that as adults, we might be able to handle those kinds of adult experiences, but we're giving seven and eight-year-olds 
something as stimulating, uh, you know, uh, they're adult toys. They're adult you know? toys, is what they are. Yes, and 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 yet the child doesn't have the neurological apparatus to just say no right. and to moderate that, uh, because uh, here's the other key piece of this dynamic is developmentally the frontal cortex, the braking mechanism, the impulse control of a human being doesn't develop until we're 23, 24, 25 years old, which is why teenagers engage in impulsive, risky behavior. They don't have fully developed frontal cortexes. So you have a compromised frontal cortex to begin with as a child, and you expose them to something that's very stimulating, and then you expect them to sort of well, just do that for 10 minutes or just, just play your Minecraft for half an hour or, where the child doesn't have the ability to do that. Um, it's t- essentially, it's too stimulating and it's age inappropriate for a developing brain at that stage of their lives. Yeah. Uh, l- let me jump in here and play devil's advocate, if I may. Back when, um, to, to jump to a different uh, scientific study, back, back when studies were done about the dangers of saccharin, um, mm-hmm. They talked about, you know, studying in laboratory rats when they were given a certain amount of saccharin, it, it uh, caused cancer. Well, then it mm-hmm. was shown that proportionally the amount of saccharin that the rat was given would have been the equivalent to a person eating like a mattress-sized, <laughs> you know, saccharin uh, tablet. So so I, I, I want to take that back to your earlier example about the young man who was playing for uh, 10 to 15 hours a day. That seems like an extreme amount. I think anybody would agree with that. But are we seeing the same level of problem in the child who plays for maybe one or two hours a day? In other words, uh, mm-hmm. is is this typical for most teenagers who are exposed to screen time? Well, that, that's a great question. It's one that I get asked a lot because a lot of people will point out what you point out. Well, that's an extreme outlier, which, by the way, is not quite so extreme because the average screen usage right. for that teenagers, according to the Pew Research Study uh, Center, is 11 hours a day. So um, 10 to 12 hours a day gaming isn't quite as extreme as we might like mm. to think of it as. It didn't but, throw in the multitasking, and, and, the, and the numbers go up. Right, exactly. But going back to your original question, so here I'll, I'll give you an interesting research study that might answer that question. Um, at Indiana University School of Medicine in 2011, uh, Dr. Wang did a brain imaging study on young people who had never played video games. So he took a baseline group of uh, 18 to 28-year-olds who had no exposure to video games because that's the thing. You know, we, we, a lot of the brain imaging was showing there was what we call post-imaging. You know, somebody's already had a problem, then we take a brain image of their brains, but we don't have a baseline to start with. So he took... Uh, it was about 30 young people who had never played video games before, and then he had them playing 10 hours a week, mm-hmm. which is f- fairly mild right. by, by most standards, which is going back to your one or two hours a day. And after two weeks, they did uh, a brain scan again, and so they played these violent video games for 10 hours a week, and they showed measurable differences in the frontal cortex after just two weeks a video game playing, and these differences mirrored substance abuse. And this is, and the conclusion of Dr. Wang and his research associates said it, these effects mirrored substance abuse and, and affected the parts of the brain that were related to aggression and impulse control. And uh, the good news was that they did this, uh, the brain scans again after they stopped playing for another two weeks, and the brain, because of neuroplasticity, the brain did go kind of bounced back to normal, as it were. Yeah. But again, these were 
only two weeks of game playing for 10 hours a week. What happens to that young man's brain if they're playing for months or years and they're playing for 10 hours a day? Um, So, but, but my point is even moderate usage was changing the brain uh, physiology. And we've seen mood dysregulation with children who with one or two hours a day, we've seen, you know, in my own practice and my colleagues work that all kids are different and some are more vulnerable to slight exposure and some are more or less susceptible right. to screen exposure. It's very individualized. Yeah. Let me jump in here, gentlemen. We're going to have to take a break. It is uh, certainly the case that not all uh, screen exposure is through video games. Uh, it is through uh, educational applications and opportunities. It's through uh, spending time online watching YouTube videos. It's through a lot of different things. It is systemic to our society to the point that many public schools are now requiring our kids to use digital technology in ways and at ages that, as we've discussed, the research shows is damaging to their brains. When we come back from our break, I'm going to ask Dr. Carderas to uh, speak to this, and uh, let's take a look at some of the non-video game aspects to uh, to the dangers of digital technology, and more importantly, what you as a parent can do to enlighten your school boards to these dangers. We'll be back with more conversation with Dr. Nicholas Carderas on License to Parent when we continue. Remember back in the late 80s and early 90s as the internet hit the scene? You know, the information superhighway? We had great hopes that this new knowledge economy would make our teens more aware, diversify their tastes, and improve their verbal skills. But the enlightenment didn't happen. Technology has had the opposite effect. What once promised great hope for the future is now used to indulge in diversions. The Dumbest Generation by Mark Bauerlein, subtitled How the Digital Age Stupefies Young Americans and Jeopardizes Our Future, or Don't Trust Anyone Under 30, presents a portrait of the young American mind at this critical juncture, revealing the true cost of the digital age and our last chance to fix it. The Dumbest Generation by Mark Bauerlein, available in the store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds benefit the Shepherds Hill Academy Scholarship Fund. This is Ken Ham, President and CEO of Answers and Genesis and the Creation Museum. And I just want to say how much I appreciate License to Parent Broadcast. I am so thrilled to know that there are those out there who are standing on the authority of God's Word in this age of compromise, but teaching parents how to build their thinking on the Word of God and to pass on that spiritual legacy to the next generation. So often we see that spiritual legacy being lost and we need more people listening to broadcasts like Licensed to Parent so that they will know how to pass on that spiritual legacy to the next generation. With the generous gifts from people just like you, we're able to provide parents with practical insights to navigate the challenges families face in today's culture, as well as helping troubled teens in our year-long residential program. To learn more and to donate, visit LicensedToParent.org. Welcome back. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. 
Today we're talking with Dr. Nicholas Cardaris about, uh, well, the, <laughs> the topic that we talk about frequently on this program, but we've got some scientific backing this time, and that is uh, talking about uh, the effect of digital technology on the brain of young people. Dr. Cardaris has done uh, numerous studies on this and has written a book that cites numerous other studies on this. Uh, and we want to, uh, to to dig in as deeply as we can. We've been talking, Dr. Carderis, about video games and their effect on kids. But let's face it, in schools now, digital technology is being used, even pushed, for uh, scholastic uh, application and uh, uh, just basically as a replacement of the textbook. But um, I believe that your research would indicate that even that is problematic for teens. Right. In essence, if, if, if what we're saying is that screen technologies have a digital drug effect on the brain, and it's not just video games, you're correct. Social media, Chromebooks, interactive, edgy games, apps, the brain and our optical uh, nerve centers weren't meant to process that artificial radiant light. It has a very impactful effect that's very stimulating, very unnatural. It disrupts our circadian rhythms or sleep cycles. We do know that there's a little bit of a gender divide with screen technologies. You know, boys do tend to gravitate towards video games because probably the adrenaline and the testosterone effect and girls yeah. gravitate towards social media and texting and because of their social collectivist nature of, 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 of their gender. But as far as the schools go, if this is a digital drug, schools have become the digital drug dealers. It's, a, it's as simple as that. Uh, under the false narrative, and I do very clearly call it a false narrative, that screens are somehow educational, uh, that, that they're somehow beneficial to the learning process. And there is not one, not one research study that shows that a child who gets a tablet in kindergarten has better educational outcomes in junior high school or high school or later in their life. Not one. And yet, it has become a $60 billion global industry education technology that's not been vetted, that's not been proven, and yet we've unleashed the hounds. We've let this, I call them clinical Trojan horses, into the classroom. Right. Um, and, and let's face it, there's big business behind it. As yeah. I said, there's a lot of money behind it. And I think those interests have essentially, and I, I've used the word conned before, and I wrote an op-ed for Time Magazine where I called it uh, Screens in the Classroom, the $60 billion hoax. They've conned school administrators, and it's the emperor has no clothes. Mm -hmm. School administrators want to keep up with their colleagues, and if neighboring District X got iPads for their middle school, then you know District Y has to get iPads for their elementary school. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one up on the Joneses. And, and without really seeing what effect is this having on not just our learning outcomes, but our, the mental health of our children. Right. Uh, and that's been really the problem. And, and, and so the one thing I do point out, which people find really interesting, is the people designing and developing this technology tend to be the most tech-cautious parents themselves. Exactly. So Steve Jobs didn't let his children have iPads, uh, and people are shocked to hear that. And Tell them where they go to the, school. They go to Waldorf schools, yeah. not technological Waldorf exactly. schools. The people in Silicon Valley send their kids to the Los Altos Waldorf school. There's no technology. The kids are exposed to things like music and cooking and outdoor play and creative play. And, and paper um, and ink. Paper and ink. And by the way, there's research that shows, and Magnin did this research in Norway, that if you read something on 
paper versus a digital screen, your retention rates are 20% higher reading the same right. thing on the different medium, on mm -hmm. the paper medium. Our brains just process things better when it comes off of natural lighting than that synthetic radiant lighting. Mm -hmm. and, and yet we, we're insisting on shoving these devices uh, down the throats of our children. Uh, I had one mother here in Long Island who her five-year-old was being, uh, her kid's kindergarten class was being forced to use iPads. And she was trying, my book has an, a parent opt-out letter that allows parents to opt out of technology. And they were refusing to honor it. And she threatened to pull her child out of school. And they threatened to call Child Protective Services. That's something. On her. And we had to go to the media and we had to get political on it. But it was outrageous that they were forcing this five-year-old to have a screen when the parents said, I, for, for the whole, all the reasons that we've discussed, and she gave a school board all the research, and they were still trying to force her hmm. to use this technology when she was saying, it's harming my child. It's like some futuristic horror film, but, you know, it's just crazy. I'm curious about this. How is a parent supposed to cope with this if the entire school is delivering right. all of its curriculum and all of its learning on a, a digital platform um, how do you opt out of that, practically speaking? Right. So I've, I've been contacted after I wrote an op-ed in uh, the New York Post over the summer that was called Digital Heroin. Uh, I've been contacted by hundreds of parents and parent groups throughout the country that are pushing back. Uh, I think the way to Good. do it is to, as parents, find our voice right. and to speak up and to not be sheep uh, that are pushed around by the school districts, quite honestly, yeah. and to begin to sort of organize so so. The answer to that question is parenting groups are forming, groups of parents within schools who are then uh, petitioning their school board, threatening to pull their kids out of school, threatening right. to homeschool them because uh, public schools get paid by census. And if their census begins to get impacted because kids are getting pulled out, then they start responding. They also start responding to the media. Um, I've, I've seen school boards amazingly come around when uh, a local newspaper article uh, exposes some of these um, authoritarian practices. Yeah. So it's, it's helping parents find their voice because we do have the power at the end of the day. That's right. That's exactly right. And parents, we don't need any more lemming-like folks standing on the sidelines watching the emperor walk down the street without any clothes on. Speak up and speak out. Dr. That's Carderas, right. we, we've come to the end of our time, unfortunately, but I, I am sure that a lot of parents would like to know how they might be able to get started in forming their own parent groups to try to rein in what's going on in their schools. Uh, is there a resource that we can point them to that you have? Sure, yeah, I, I do have my website, Dr. Cardaris, D-R-K-A-R-D-A-R-A-S.com. And my book, Glow Kids, is available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And my website has the research uh, linked into it as well for parents that want to arm themselves with the information to go to the school boards with. Excellent. So, well, Dr. Nicholas Cardaris, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been an honor and a privilege to talk with you. Absolutely. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. Mm -hmm. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent, Dr. Nicholas Cardaris, one of the country's foremost addiction experts, a former clinical professor at Stony Brook Medicine, now the executive director of the Dunes in East Hampton, New York which is one of the world's top rehab facilities. He's also author of the book we've been discussing, Glow Kids, that came out from St. Martin's Press uh, in 2016, and the 2011 book, How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. You will find both of those, as he just mentioned, on Amazon. 
And this is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program helping teens in crisis, many of whom are themselves dealing with the fallout of too much digital technology. Residential care is expensive, but we can make it available to many more hurting families with your help. I ask that you please prayerfully consider a tax-deductible gift in any amount today. You can give securely online when you visit LicensedToParent.org and click the Donate button. Again, LicensedToParent.org. Our program coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal asking that you tell a fellow parent about us and then join us again next time to renew your Licensed to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.